So this morning we are finishing up our our, our little thingy about Elijah. Uh, so we're looking at 1 Kings 19, 1 through 18. 1 Kings 19, 1 through 18. Uh, I'm going to recap sort of where we've been up to this point uh, after, after we read. Um, sometimes I do that before. I'm going to do it after this time. So... Um, 1 Kings 19, 1 through 18, it'll be on the screen. If you've got it with you, you can follow along. Uh, Before we read, let's pray together. Again, we say thank you, O God, for your presence. The Holy Spirit, for you being here, near, with us. Again, we say thank you for this book. Grateful for for your word. Now, oh God, we pray that you would do whatever it is you do in us to to prepare us, to open us up, to, to hear whatever it is you have to say to us today. And again, we know that your word is is transformative. It's generative. It makes things new. And so, in some way or another, we pray that that happens uh, here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First Kings 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I don't make your life like one of them. So, threatening, again, I'm going to kill you. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself, when a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said, Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. An angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. 
When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went, went out and, and stood at the mouth of the cave. And a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And again he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Sort of stuck in this funk, can't get out of it, so he repeats the same thing. Then the Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Melohah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. He will go that far. So, this is the third week in a row. We've been looking at this guy named Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead. Right? And Elijah was a prophet. And we know by now what prophets are. We know about prophets because sort of Elijah has shown us what, what a real prophet truly is, what prophets look like. Prophets are agitators. Prophets are disturbers of the peace. Prophets aren't afraid to speak the truth that nobody wants to hear, but everybody absolutely needs to hear. Prophets speak truth to power. Prophets aren't afraid to confront all the little gods and goddesses that we human beings are so prone to worship and sacrifice to and give our lives to. We talked all about that last week. It takes a certain amount, takes a certain amount of guts to be a prophet. And Elijah's proven himself to be that kind of guy, right? So, where have we been? Where are we in the story? So Elijah took a stand against the rain god worshiping King Ahab, king of Israel, right? and his rain god worshiping wife, king, Queen Jezebel. And he said to them, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Now, they were worshiping Baal, the rain god. So there's a confrontation. And guess what happens? The sun beats down. The streams dry up. There is no rain in the land. And then after three long, hot, dry years of drought and famine, God tells Elijah to go again and present himself to Ahab because he's going to finally make it rain. So Elijah goes to Mount Carmel, confronts Ahab and all the people of Israel. He says to them, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. And then Elijah, I love this, Elijah challenges the hundreds of prophets of Baal to a barbecue cook-off. Right? They're going to have a barbecue cook-off, right? And the only thing is, when the sacrifice is prepared on the altars, they're not going to set fire. Right? Then they're going to pray to Baal, and, and Elijah's going to pray to uh, the Lord God Almighty, the Lord of Israel, and whoever answers by fire, he is God. So the prophets of Baal, they dance, they chant, they work themselves into a frenzy. They even go so far as to cut themselves to prove their devotion to God. It's all very religious. They're making a religious spectacle to make sure that, that Baal knows how devoted they are. Nothing. No fire. 
And then Elijah, if you remember, he calls the people. He says, come here, come to me. He's very calm, cool, and collected, right? And he says, and he just prays. And he asks that God would show up. And then God sends fire. It burns the people, purifies them, transforms them. They turn from their little god Baal, and they begin now to worship the Lord. And then Elijah gives the prophets of Baal a death sentence. Right? And then God sends the rain. After the fire always comes the rain, blessing, grace. So that's how far we've come. Now look what happens next. Story continues. Ahab tells Queen Jezebel what happened about how Elijah had all the prophets of, of Baal killed by a sword. And he says this. So, so Jezebel then sends a messenger. Get that. Jezebel sends a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like one of them. So she's threatening to kill. She sends a messenger ahead, says this is what's going to happen. So Elijah, at this point in the story, has already taken big, bold, dramatic action. He could have been captured or killed at any time. He had already demonstrated the sort of guts it takes right, to be a prophet. You know what else it takes? It takes a certain amount of, of energy, thick skin. It takes a, it takes a kind of, of mental toughness. And Elijah, he was only human. Right? We like to think of Elijah as like this superhero figure. Right? I like to picture him as a Jedi. Like when he goes to the mouth of the cave and he puts that hood up. I, I picture old Ben Kenobi. Right? It's just, just what it comes into my head. We like to think of him, this guy with superpowers. Like he's this big, strong guy, but he's just a human being. You and me, we are just human beings. So living life on the edge, dancing on this line between God's reign in this world and evil's bid to take it away from God, it can take a toll. It can make us vulnerable. Right? The great reformer Martin Luther once said something like this, when God plants a church, there's the evil one ready to plant a chapel. In other words, whenever God does something amazing in this world, there's this sort of uprising against it, wanting to take it back. So when evil shows up, there's almost always a crisis. Right? And when that crisis hits, it's easy for us to stop thinking clearly. It's easy for us to want to shrink back. It's easy for us to, to want to go back to the way things were. It's easy for us to sort of be overcome and overwhelmed with fear. It's easy for us to want to, to sort of just run away. Well, for Elijah, at this point in the story, evil shows up again. Jezebel's there. She sends a messenger and threatens his life. And he's so afraid that at this point in the story, he just panics. And he takes off and runs for his life. And he keeps on running until he sits under a broom tree. He's, he's exhausted, entirely exhausted. He's completely alone. And he suffers from acute depression. Right? He's had it. And he begins to pray. He's like, oh Lord, I've had enough. Take my life now. Now, at this point in the story, it seems like this is strange. It's not strange that he's tired. It's not strange that, that he's completely exhausted. 
It isn't strange that he's depressed. These are all normal human things. He's on the run and somebody's trying to kill him. Right? It makes a lot of sense that he would be tired, alone, exhausted, depressed. But why is he so erratic? Why does he panic? Why does he run? Why does he just take off and go from place to place? Because if you read the story of Elijah, this isn't his story at all. This isn't the way he, this isn't who he's proved himself to be. He's proved himself to be calm, cool, collected, right? When confronted with a, a larger than life mission, he's always risen to the challenge. When confronted with this mission impossible to confront the powers that be in this world, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, he's always taken it one step at a time. And God has always provided. He's always taken the next step. But here he runs. He goes in the opposite. He just runs. He's afraid. He's overcome. And he doesn't take it one step at a time, allowing room for God to provide and take care of him one step at a time. Think of it like this. I'm, I'm borrowing an illustration that Renee actually used on Wednesday night with the kids. So the kids have heard this before, only a little bit different because I'm making it my own and changing it. So let's say you wake up in the morning and uh, you want to eat some breakfast. You want to get a bowl of cereal. What do you do? There's certain steps you need to take, right, to get a bowl of cereal in front of you to eat. Right? So here's what you do. You go to the cupboard and you get a bowl. You go to the drawer and you get a spoon. You put those on the table in front of you. Then you go to the cupboard and you grab a box of cereal. You go to the fridge and you grab the milk and you bring those to the table. Then what do you do next? Anyone? You, what do you do? You open the box of cereal and then you pour the cereal in. And then you put the box down. You probably close it. And then what do you do next? You open the jug of milk and you pour it in. Then you put the cap back on and there you go. You got your bowl of cereal. Now, let's pretend there's another variable here. You're late. Like you're super late to work or to school or whatever it is you have to go. You're super late. And the only thing you can eat in the house for breakfast is a bowl of cereal. So now you have to hurry because you know if you don't eat, you're going to be miserable for the next four or five hours. So here's what you do. You run to the cupboard, you grab a bowl, you put it on the table, you run to the cupboard, you grab the cereal, you grab the milk out of the fridge, you go sit down at the table and you start pouring your cereal and it goes all over the place because you had to squeeze it to get it open because you forgot to open it and the cereal goes all over the place. Now you got to clean it up. Then you start pouring the milk and you realize, oh, I got to take the cap off first. And then you put that down and then your cereal's ready to eat and you remember, oh, I forgot my spoon. Then you have to get up and you go grab a spoon, right? When you're late, you're panicking, you're hurrying. Sometimes these little steps, this, this is normally what happens, right? One step at a time becomes difficult when you're under stress, when you're under strain, one step at a time. So he's afraid. He runs from place to place. He goes away. He doesn't leave room for God to do what God to take care of him one step at a time. It's how Elijah has lived his, his life up to this point. So breaking down these big, big, big problems into manageable parts, confronted with a crisis, it's important to just Take it one step at a time. What is the first thing you need to do? When confronted with a a life-threatening illness, take it one step at a time. Break it down into manageable parts. 
What is the next thing you need to do? Who do you need to talk to next? What information would be most helpful for you now? And is it appropriate or should you Google it? Or should you listen to what the doctors say? When you've just been told your job's been cut, right? break it down into manageable parts, one step at a time. What is the next thing you need to do? Who is the next person you need to talk to? What is the next piece of information that you need? Right? When you've when you finally figure out that your marriage is in trouble, when you lose a loved one, when someone hurts you intentionally or unintentionally, when you have an accident, break it down into manageable parts one step at a time. Because breaking it down allows us to move forward and allows us to think clearly, moving one step at a time. It prevents us from being overwhelmed by fear and anxiety at the size and scope of whatever it is we're facing. Okay, that's good. That's solid. He did that up to this point. Now he's not. But maybe there's, maybe there's something else going on here. Maybe there's something, there's something deeper here. Maybe before any steps are taken, maybe before breaking anything down into manageable parts, maybe there's something else. Maybe there are other questions we ought to be asking, questions like these. Where's God in all of this? What does what does God want me to do? Where does God want me to go? You notice he gets the threat, takes off, and it's only later. Maybe maybe the first step to be taken is to just stop. Be quiet. And just listen. Eventually he gets there, right? He runs and runs and runs, but he finally finds himself exhausted under a broom tree. Then and only then does he stop and pray. When a crisis hits, we want to jump into action, right? When a crisis hits, we want to start fixing things. We want to fly to fix it. But maybe the first thing, instead of any action or any fixing, is to just stop. Be quiet and listen. When was the last time you just stopped and listened. When's the last time you just quit everything you were doing, cleared your head, and listened? When was the last time you just quit moving and simply opened your heart to the divine? Well, he finally stops. He listens. God feeds him. God gives him rest. Go to the mountain of God. Elijah gets there, still remains quiet, hides himself in a cave. He's told to go to the opening of the cave and wait for the Lord to pass by. Then it says, Then a great powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And then after the fire came a gentle whisper. You have to be still and quiet. Hear a whisper. It's amazing, isn't it? God chose 
God chooses to meet Elijah in the middle of all the chaos. God chooses to meet Elijah when he's most afraid. God chooses to meet Elijah when he's most stressed out, when he's in his deepest depression, when he's wallowing in his own self-doubt. That's when God chooses to meet Elijah. God is on his side. God has always been on his side. God is on your side. God's always been on your side. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That word nothing, do you know what that means? Any, any guesses? It means nothing can separate us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. I think at this point in the story, maybe, not quite sure, but maybe Elijah gains some perspective here. He doesn't gain a new perspective. He gains one he's had before, and it's God's perspective. Think about it. To us, crises always seem larger than they actually are. When you get to the other end of them, you're like, oh, well, it wasn't as bad as I th- thought it was going to be. How many times have we said that in our lives? Think about his life. Think about what's happening right now. Was Queen Jezebel really a threat? Was she a threat? If she was a threat, why did she just send a messenger? Why didn't she send somebody to off him right away? Just the messenger. She wasn't a threat. She was afraid just like he was. She was scared just like he was. She wasn't a threat. Elijah had God on his side and Jezebel knew it. They just watched that whole thing play out. God had already proven his might, had proven his power, had proven his strength. God literally stopped the rain, then brought fire from the sky and brought the rain again. So when confronted with a crisis, stop, quiet. Listen, and it's in those moments that sometimes we're able to gain some perspective. Hear the gentle whisper of God, I'm here. In your loneliness, I'm here. In your self-doubt, I'm here. In your deepest depression, I am here with you. Think about your life. Nothing's been too big for you so far because nothing is too big for God. It's not whatever you're experiencing now. It's not too big for you because it's not too big for God. Nothing can separate us. Stop. Be quiet. Pay attention. Listen. You might just be able to hear the gentle whisper of God. You've experienced it before. Like on a drive alone in your car or your vehicle to work when you're stopped, when you're quiet when you're listening. Maybe it's happened to you before in the shower. Or maybe you're just listening to a podcast and you're in a meditative state and you hear some gentle whispers from God. Maybe it's out on a run or a walk when you're quiet, when you're listening. God says, in your loneliness, I am here. At your weakest, I am your strength. In your deepest depression, I am with you. God is on your side. At this point in the story, 
God says again, what are you doing here, Elijah? And it's like he still can't quite get out of this funk because he answers God in the exact word for word, same way. So God's got to kind of break him out of his funk. And what God does next, I think, is genius. Do you know God's really smart? Like, I think this is genius. Look what God, look what God does. The Lord says to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram, anoint Jehu, anoint Elisha. God lifts Elijah up out of his sense of victimhood and gives him a new mission, gives him another sense of purpose again. So friends, if you're feeling like you're in that place, like you can't figure out how to get past your own problems, like one of the best ways for us to get unstuck is to pour our energy into someone else. One of the best ways to sort of get moving again is to lend a hand. So if you're feeling spiritually dry or drab or stuck, ask yourselves these questions. Where am I serving? Where am I investing? To whom am I giving? Because studies after studies show that this is actually transformative in people's lives. Studies have shown that doctors and nurses in a time of crisis or when they're responding to a disaster have a higher survival rate than the average population. Why is that? They think it's because they're pouring into the lives of others. They're giving themselves away. Friends, living life on the edge, like dancing on that line between God's reign in this world and and evil's bid to sort of take it away from God, it takes its toll. Sometimes we get exhausted and depressed and it feels like we've been dancing on this line for like four, five, six years recently. It's like, oh, it can take its toll can make us vulnerable. Remember, take one step at a time. Stop. Be quiet. Listen. When was the last time you listened for the whisper of God? And remember, it's very likely that God wants to urge you, to push you, to invite you into something new in order to invest in the lives of others. God wants to use you again. God wants to use us again. God is on your side. Let's pray.